Welcome to Reader, I Murdered Him, a real podcast about fake crimes. Every episode does a deep dive into a crime that never really happened by exploring some of the best thriller, mystery, and horror novels. But be prepared, this podcast isn't spoiler-free, so listen at your own risk. The episode today does deal with the following topics, medical malpractice during childbirth, and suicide in addition to the missing persons case. Nothing is graphic or discussed in detail. However, if these topics are ones you'd prefer to avoid, feel free to come back next week for a new episode or listen to a previous episode instead. Delilah Dickey was only a kindergartner when she disappeared from her home in the Chicago suburbs without a trace along with her mother, Meredith. Her father, Josh, thought the morning was like any other. He woke up to an empty house, not unusual, as Meredith was always the one to wake up with the kids, get them breakfast, and get them to school and the babysitters on her way to work. He went about his day, and the only thing that made him suspicious was that his wife wasn't returning any of his calls. But even that in itself wasn't too unusual. Meredith was a doula, always on call for the pregnant women she worked for, and it was fairly common for her to ignore his calls if she was at the hospital with a client helping them through a difficult labor. Where Josh starts to get worried is when he goes to Delilah's school and she's not there for pickup. Apparently, she'd have had a fever and Meredith had kept her out of school. Also not unusual, kindergartners are sick all the time. Trust me, I have a kindergartner, and our house might as well be a rotating plague house from about November through March. But what's unusual about this particular illness is that Meredith didn't let Josh know Delilah was sick, or that she was so sick she had to stay home from school. So Josh calls Meredith again, leaves her a message, and goes to pick up his son, Leo, from the babysitter. Leo is there, healthy, and the babysitter seemed to know that Delilah was sick too. It isn't until Josh gets home and sees that the dog hasn't been fed since he left for work that morning, and that there is still no trace of Meredith or Delilah, that he begins to get seriously concerned. It's still possible for Meredith to be at the hospital with a client in labor, but with a sick kindergartner along too? That seems unlikely. She would have called him to take over the parenting duties. And there's no trace of a sick kid at home. No half dozen water bottles strewn across the sofa and side tables. No red popsicle drips. The only food Delilah would eat when she was sick. Staining the floor or kitchen table. No crumbled up blankets on the couch in front of the TV. So Josh checks the location on Meredith's phone. They both have a location tracker on for emergencies, and Josh is starting to consider this one. But the result he gets isn't one that puts his mind at ease. Her location information isn't available. And that could mean a lot of things. Either her phone died because she forgot to charge it, it's been turned off on purpose, or someone, possibly even Meredith herself, has turned off the location services. 
Josh takes Leo across the street to the neighbor's house. B and Kate were friends of Meredith, and if Josh doesn't know where she is, there's a chance she mentioned something to them before she left. But B and Kate haven't heard from Meredith either. And now Josh knows it's time to call the police. His wife and daughter are officially missing. I'm your host, Risa P., and this is the disappearance of Meredith and Delilah Dickey. It takes the police over an hour to arrive at Josh's house after that initial call. The weather that night is really bad, the roads are flooded, even some neighborhoods have flooded. So emergency services has been busy rescuing people from homes and cars. But when the two officers do make it to Josh's house, they take his concerns over his wife and daughter very seriously. Just a few days ago, another woman from the neighborhood Shelby Tebow disappeared while on a late-night jog through the neighborhood. And while she hasn't been found yet, after investigating, officers are assuming her disappearance was foul play. Most of the suspicion for Shelby's disappearance has fallen onto her husband, who is rumored to be a serial adulterer unhappy with the way their new baby interfered with his lifestyle. But having Meredith and Delilah disappear so quickly after Shelby changes things. It means the police could be looking for a dangerous repeat offender. And now, especially that there's a young child involved, they don't want to take any chances. But for Josh, the police aren't moving fast enough. Even when detectives take a case seriously, it can feel like things aren't moving along for the families involved and Josh decides to take matters into his own hands. The next morning, as soon as the rain has stopped and the sun is up, Josh is next door with his neighbor Kate and her wife B to organize a volunteer search group. B is a natural organizer, so she steps up to get everyone in groups while Josh searches for photos of his wife and daughter to share with the volunteers who will be canvassing local businesses and neighbors. He gives out his wife's license plate number, the make and model of her car, anything that might help people find her and his daughter alive. But as the group is about to break up and get to work, Josh gets his first strange piece of information. In addition to being a doula, Meredith also taught classes at the local yoga studio. And when he goes to talk to the studio owner about covering Meredith's classes, An admittedly odd priority given everything that's going on, but we all have our weird checklists for crisis mode, and sometimes pretending things are normal is the only way to cope. But the studio owner just kind of laughs it off. She says they already have a system down from all the classes Meredith missed over the last three weeks. And that's when Janet, a midwife that Meredith worked with in her doula practice, speaks up to say Meredith had told her she was cutting back hours at both her jobs to spend more time with her family. Meredith had even gone so far as to ask Janet to refer clients to other doulas. When Kate covers this moment in her witness statement, she says Josh goes totally pale. 
it's obvious he didn't know about any of this. Not the missing work, not the cutting back hours, not even Meredith's reasoning that she wanted to spend more time at home. As far as Josh knew, Meredith wanted more work now that Leo was getting close to school age and the season of young kids at home was coming to an end. By itself, it isn't the most incriminating thing Josh could have found out, but when your wife and daughter go missing, the last thing you want to start finding out are how many secrets your wife has been keeping from you. The local canvassing doesn't bring up much more than well wishes and prayers from people who knew Meredith and Delilah. A few people claim to have seen Meredith's car earlier that day. Cassandra, the mother of Delilah's friend Piper, claims to have seen human-shaped shadows in Meredith's backyard one night, but there's no way to corroborate that story, to find out who the shadows may have belonged to, or if they're even relevant to the case. It isn't until B gets to Jason Tebow's house, husband of the also-missing Shelby Tebow, that they get any real leads at all. And those leads don't look good for Meredith and Delilah. Meredith and Shelby don't just know each other the way all women with kids in a neighborhood kind of know each other, from school pickup lanes and exhausted nods on the playground. Shelby and Meredith really knew each other. Meredith was Shelby's doula. And according to Jason, if there's any one person in Shelby's life he'd considered her enemy, it would be Dr. Feingold, her obstetrician. While B wants to know more, Jason isn't willing to give up any additional information. B and Kate leave to continue canvassing the neighborhood and surrounding areas. Then, at noon that day, word finally breaks. A body has been found. Today's content is brought to you by Perfectly Protected the home security service that doesn't just want to see you simply safe, when you could be perfectly protected. Today, Perfectly Protected wants me to tell you about yet another new product they're adding to their line of in-home and on-the-go protection. The protection tag is a small square tag that you can hook on to anything you want to keep track of. Your keys, your cell phone, your car. You can even put it in your child's backpack and watch them walk to school in real time on the perfectly protected GPS tag live tracker app. You can get real time updates about the location of your tag and a special notification if the perfectly protected care team senses that the tag has been tampered with in any way. Worried about your significant other getting abducted on the way to work? Slip a perfectly protected protection tag into their purse or briefcase and never wonder if they made it into the office on time again. Want to make sure your car stays where you parked it? Slip a protection tag into the trunk or glove box. It's small enough, no one will ever notice it's there. But if you're really concerned about aesthetics, just stick it to the rear bumper and forget it's even there. The perfectly protected protection tag. People don't use them as illegal tracking devices. Pinky promise. B and Kate are downtown canvassing runners and business owners down a strip of land known as the Riverwalk. 
Now, it just so happens that I'm local adjacent to DuPage County, Illinois, where the Riverwalk is located. And the suburb that claims it is the kind of high-end, we're too good for the city, but too cultured to move that far out kind of place. So if anybody sees anything, you can bet they're going to call the cops. Trash cans left out on the curb the day after trash pickup? Cops. Kid came back from college and parked his car on the street without a permit? Cops. Someone threw a cigarette butt out of their car window? Cops. So anything even abstractly resembling a body in the woods near what is considered the crown jewel of DuPage County? You can bet some morning jogger pulled out their cell phone and called the non-emergency number they already had on speed dial. Unfortunately for B and Kate, as they follow the crowd to investigate, the body that's been found just off the Riverwalk Trail isn't abstract. But it's also not Meredith or Delilah. It's Shelby Tebow. Shelby is found by a man walking his dog. Her head and torso were buried underground, but the rest of her body was visible because of the heavy rains from the previous night. She was covered with a blanket, but otherwise unclothed, which led police to believe that she had been the victim of homicide, although it appears that she was just buried at the Riverwalk location, as there are no other signs of a violent crime occurring in the area. And while police struggle to solve Shelby's murder, as well as Meredith and Delilah's disappearance, they still only have two leads. The first is Shelby's husband, because it's always the husband. The second is Dr. Feingold, who, it turns out, was being sued by the Tebos for medical malpractice. During the delivery, Shelby had been laboring for too long, and she should have been given a C-section which Meredith, as her doula, fought for her to have. But Dr. Feingold refused to perform the surgery and instead pulled the baby out using forceps with too much pressure, causing damage to the infant's skull that resulted in brain damage, the severity of which the Tebos may not fully understand until their child is much older. With Meredith a witness to the alleged malpractice, it isn't difficult to see how these two cases, one murder and one disappearance, could be connected. And I'll admit, if I were investigating, I would absolutely be bringing Dr. Feingold in for some serious questioning and throwing around terms like person of interest, if not outright suspect. But assuming cases are connected can sometimes lead to confirmation bias when investigating. And there are a few key differences. The first is that Shelby's body was found, and she appears to have been dead around the same time frame that she disappeared, which means she was killed and then her body was moved shortly after, or she was abducted and killed in a very small window of time. Meredith still hasn't been found, and neither has Delilah. Is it possible Dr. Feingold tried to silence both Shelby and Meredith? Absolutely. But what about Delilah? Would Dr. Feingold abduct or hurt a child just to keep from having to go through a medical malpractice suit? Would that be worth it to him? 
especially as a doctor whose whole profession relies on his clients trusting him to bring their babies into the world? Then again, he didn't seem too concerned about the well-being of Shelby Tebow's daughter. Either way, the police investigation continues, and Dr. Feingold does not appear to be a primary suspect in either case. Actually, it appears as though the husbands are being zeroed in in both cases. After getting permission from Josh Dickey to search the family residence, the police find blood spatter in his garage that's only a few days old, potentially fresh enough to have been from the day his wife and daughter disappeared. But Josh has an alibi. He was playing tennis with a client during the time his wife and daughter disappeared. But the police still seem suspicious. They start asking questions about Meredith's mental health and her relationship to her children. But they don't have too much time to dwell on this new line of questioning before two more leads come in. The first is that after a paternity test, Grace Tebow, Shelby's infant daughter, is discovered to not biologically be Jason Tebow's daughter. The second is that Meredith's car has been found in the parking lot of a seedy motel, the kind the police are used to getting called to after a desperate soul has overdosed in a room where the door doesn't lock, not a place they're used to finding mothers who own homes in upper-middle-class subdivisions. But after arriving to the hotel, the police do find Meredith, as well as her car. Her wrists have been slashed, and she's left behind a note stating that Delilah is safe, she's fine, you'll never find her, don't even try. But there's no sign of Delilah anywhere near the hotel room. Josh not only has to grieve his wife's apparent suicide, but he still has a missing daughter out there somewhere, and he has to find the strength to continue to search for her while taking care of his son. And I'll be honest, while the scene at the hotel is tragic, from an investigative standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would Meredith have taken her daughter with her to commit suicide? If she wasn't trying to protect her children from finding her body or being present for an event that traumatic, she could have stayed at home after Josh went to work. If she wanted to distance herself from her children, she could have waited until Delilah was better and could go back to school and daycare. But bringing Delilah with her to the hotel and then leaving a note that she's fine? That doesn't make sense. And Meredith also hasn't made any provisions for Delilah in the hotel room. No toys for her to play with. She's not locked safely away in the bathroom for someone to find. The TV isn't even playing mindless cartoons. There's no trace that a child ever stepped foot in this room. The only thing that does make this scenario make sense is that there was another person in the hotel room with Meredith. A second adult means there would have been someone to entertain Delilah, and then take her away to a safe location. Which means it would have had to be someone Meredith trusted. And that means there's someone out there who knows exactly what happened to Meredith and where Delilah is, 
but they haven't spoken up through a whole missing persons investigation? That doesn't make sense either. Unless Meredith didn't actually commit suicide. Once Meredith's body is found, the police are pretty quick to write this case, Meredith's part in it at least, as closed. Jason Tebow is arrested for the murder of his wife, and the work on Delilah's case starts to cool. It takes another 11 years before there's any substantial movement towards finding Delilah at all. But when this case starts to move again, all three cases start to unravel together in a story so bizarre and unbelievable, it left a neighborhood stunned. The unraveling of Delilah Dickey starts with the appearance of another missing girl, a girl named Carly, last name unknown, who shows up at the Dickey house one day claiming to be Delilah. She doesn't do it out of malice or spite. She's lost and confused, a victim of trauma looking for a safe place. But when her real identity is found out, she runs away, causing another police search of the Dickies' neighborhood. Except this time, the police aren't looking for people who might have wished the girl harm. They're looking for people she might have considered safe. Friends. People like Kate and her wife, B. B, who has a private shed in her backyard for her work recording music. B, who refuses to unlock the door and let the police inside. B, who runs as the police break the door down anyway. On the second floor of B's shed, a cramped space with a slanted roof and a tiny single window for light, Delilah Dickey is found, well-fed and clean, after 11 years of captivity by her mother's best friend. When caught, B confesses to everything. She was out with Meredith on the night that Shelby Tebow disappeared. She'd had too much to drink, and Meredith said they should get a cab, but B insisted on driving. She was forceful, and Meredith was too drunk and tired to argue. Shelby Tebow wasn't dressed for jogging at night. It was dark, she blended in with the street. B slammed on her brakes, but only after the car hit her, going way too fast. B got Meredith to help her bury the body in the woods. And she was prepared to let things go at that, to move on with her life and try to pretend this one colossal mistake never happened. But Meredith wasn't. Meredith wanted to go to the police. She was even willing to take all the blame herself, to confess and leave B out of all of it. But B wouldn't take the risk. When B finally confronted Meredith, she didn't realize Delilah was home from school with a fever. She didn't know how much Delilah heard or what she'd repeat to her dad, her teachers, anyone. But she couldn't bring herself to kill Delilah and her best friend. So she took the girl and hid her in the shed, feeding her and bringing her whatever she needed, but never letting her out. Jason Tebow was released from prison after serving 11 years for a crime he didn't commit, 
and B is now serving a life sentence in prison for the murders of Shelby Tebow and Meredith Dickey, as well as the abduction of Delilah Dickey. And while to a certain extent we can say justice has been served, there's nothing that can give Delilah and her family, or even Jason Tebow, those 11 years back. Thank you for listening to Reader, I Murdered Him. If you can't wait to get all the details about today's case, check out Local Woman Missing by Mary Kubica. If you love twisty domestic thrillers, she's definitely the author to check out. And her new book, Just the Nicest Couple, came out this year. So pick that one up at your local library or indie bookstore as well. And if you finished reading Local Woman Missing, come talk about it in the Reader I Murdered Him podcast book club on Goodreads and get the February reading list from the stay-at-home creative newsletter on Substack. All the links are in the show notes. I don't and will never have social media for this podcast because I value mental health over marketing. So if you like this podcast, tell somebody about it because word of mouth is the only way other people can find it. And today, I also have another listener email to share. It's always exciting to hear from new listeners. And this one writes, Dear Risa P., I am a great fan of your podcast, and I'm hoping you'd be willing to help me with my own mystery. I framed my husband for my murder, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure I really want him to go to jail. Well, actually, I'm not sure I want to stay disappeared and I won't be able to get my old life back until I've cleared his name. Is there any book you can recommend that offers a template for this kind of situation? And it's just signed done with two N's and gone. Well, I'm not sure this is anything I want to get involved in. Probably should have read this before I started recording. But here we are. So, have you ever thought about therapy? I think this is the kind of situation where people would usually recommend therapy. And I've got a great sponsor called Void Space that I think would do wonders for you, Miss Dunn. And on that note, if you have stories to share, recommendations, or even questions on marriage advice, send your email to readerimurderedhimpod at gmail.com. I can't wait to hear from you. Thank you again for listening. And don't forget to come back next week for another episode of Reader, I Murdered Him. It's Elvis Mr. Lee.